Good morning, everyone. Merry Christmas. Did you all have happy kids uh, wanting to come to church this morning? Tell the truth. Anyway, the uh, scripture for today, before we uh, receive the offering, and I have a little special time for all the uh, junior church age kids are going to help me out this morning, okay? Something to do uh, as we gather together. Luke chapter 2. If you want to just listen, you can. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Luke 2. And if you don't, there's one in the seats in front of you, the black book. You can pull that out and turn to page 1020, 1020, and that's where you'll find the text. Famous Christmas passage, and it's our uh, subject study for this morning. Chapter 2 of the Gospel of Luke, starting in the 8th verse. In the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. Now, I know this is very familiar, so don't check out on me, all right? All right, here we go. The angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened, and so would you be. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. An empty... This is actually the stable, right? Manger is the little, little uh, feeding trough that the baby was placed in. This is the stable. And uh, normally... There's animals in a stable. So here's the deal. I want no pushing and shoving. Everybody be real careful because we have some precious little objects hidden all over the front row of this platform that belong at the manger. The manger shouldn't be empty, right? The stable. So everybody gets to pick one. If you find it, go ahead and grab it. Oh, somebody found one already. And oh, they found them. Anybody not yet? Somebody look all the way around the other side. You only get to get one. You only get to get one because we're not, yeah, we're going to put them up at the manger in just a minute. Okay, everybody hold on to them. Hold on to them. Keep in your hand. Everybody keep them in your hand. Everybody move out here a little bit so I can see what you have, all right? And we can talk to mom and dad at the same time. Okay, keep them in your hands. That's, that's Joseph, I think. Yeah, I think that's Joseph. Keep them in your hand for a second, okay, Till I ask for them. 
That's funny because I was Joseph in the play. How many do we have? Everybody hold one up that has one. Okay, we got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Who else? Ten. There's one more. Oh, I've got the other one. You're too smart. How did you figure that out already? I knew it! All right. Okay, so first, who has an animal? Okay, let's put the animals here because this is a barn. Barns should have animals, right? That would be normal. I, I have found none. You found none? Here, I'm going to give you one to hold, okay? I found none. Oh, well, maybe we can share it. Here you go. You hold on to that one, all right? Okay, so these are the... Everybody calm. Here we go. Calm down. Make room so people can see it. Okay, we got the animals in the stable, right? Now, who else do we need in the stable? Yeah, but not yet. They're the last guys. Who's the first people that should be there with the baby Jesus? Joseph and Mary. Here's Joseph. And Mary is, uh, she's a little, who's got it? That's Mary right there. I'm sure glad we know our uh, religious figures, don't you? All right, there's Mary and Joseph, and everybody wants to set this up. They're so anxious. Oh, my word. Who can tell me about Mary and Joseph? Who are they? Yeah, and wasn't baby Jesus a miraculous birth? Mm -hmm. Yeah? So what was special about Mary and Joseph? What do you think? They did protect Jesus. Do you guys have parents? Yes! What a surprise. (laughs) Do you think that their job is easy? No! Oh, they all gave the right answer, Mom and Dad. Their job is not easy. So do you think that baby Jesus' parents had an easy job? No. No. But guess what? Joseph and Mary said yes to God. They were willing to take the job. Isn't that cool? They were willing to take the job. And so they did a good job. Aren't you glad? And we should say yes to God also. All right. So what's the next thing that should be there? Not yet. Shepherds. Okay, who's got shepherds? We know the wise men. They got little crowns on them. No, that's Mary and Joseph. There should be three or two shepherds. There's two shepherds. There's one. Nope. Who's got one? Let me see. That, that's a shepherd right there. Okay, Luce. Bring over the shepherd. All right, let's put, let's put, her, let's put him up there. Okay, what's special about the shepherds? We just read about the shepherds. You guys listening? They want to, ooh, ooh. What? They saw an angel came out of the sky. Yeah, and what did the um, angel tell them? That there was um, Christ who was born this day in the, the town of David of Bethlehem in a stable. Oh, you almost have it memorized. That's pretty good. And what did, the, what did the shepherds do then? Anybody know what the shepherds did? What? They took care of the sheep. No, well, yeah, they took care of the sheep. But they went to see the baby Jesus, and after they saw the baby Jesus, who knows what they did? You guys listening? Who knows what the shepherds did? What? They went back, and when they went back, they told everybody they met about Jesus. Did you know that? They told more people about Jesus. You know what? That's a good thing to do, too, isn't it? To tell people about Jesus. All right, be careful with them. Okay, who's last? What's the last? Yeah, I know the wise men. We've been dying for them to get out here, right? Put them down. There's the wise men. Okay. What's special about the wise men? What did they do? 
Oh, you know what? You've answered them all. How about you? They gave them gifts. They, they gave them gifts. They came a really long distance to go to church, right? How many of you came a long distance to go to church today? All right. Nobody raised their hand. You're not fun. The kids are more fun. Okay. So, they went a long way to worship Jesus, and they gave him gifts. What do you think? Should we give Jesus gifts? Yes! Things as well as what? What should we give him? What's the most important thing we can give him? Our hearts. That's exactly right. Good job. I want to thank you guys for helping me get the manger filled up the way it should be. Good job. You can guys go back to your mom and dad. Hey, guys. Hello. <laughs> uh, if, uh, if Michael let you... Oh, thank you, honey. <laughs> Where's mom and dad? Well, mom, mom's right there. Go ahead. Go back to mom. <laughs> well, I want to thank you kids for helping make Sunday morning on Christmas Day exciting for us, right? That's more entertaining than the old gray-haired preacher you got. I, well, who knows uh, anything about the uh, calendar? Uh, when will this happen again that Christmas lands on Sunday? Seven years? Seven years? Come on, I'm looking for the mathematics people here. I, I, I stink at math, but the verbal is verbal skills. Yes. No, Monday, I think, next year, right? And Monday next year? Yeah. Nobody has the answer. Six years? Oh, I may still be working. Okay. I gotta... There seems to be a disagreement here, so uh, we're just going to move on. How's that? I don't know. I thought it was eight years. That's what I had heard, but I, I could be wrong. Okay, this morning, do you see what I see? Anybody recognize that? I just want to thank everyone for being here. I, I Actually, I thought we'd have like seven people, so I'm really glad. And uh, a brother in the room today who, by the way, went to a Christian school, so he knows. He said that we get extra Jesus points for being here today. I'm sure he's right. Wasn't me. No, I didn't say. He's over there. Anyway, not that I'm pointing anyone out. Do you see what I see? Anybody recognize that? Sounds like a song, doesn't it? I hear Bing Crosby in the back of my mind saying, do you see what I see? Some of you may know, um, and those who are visitors, this will be new to you, but the year I became a Christian was 1971, and I, I won't belabor the fact that all the Christmas songs came alive for me for the first time when that happened. It was 1971. It was um, October, October, September, September 19th, I do recall. I was an art major at the City University of New York, and uh, after my conversion, my life changed so radically, I shifted gears and went off into philosophy and then theology, and uh, went off to seminary because uh, God's call was so clear on me and I had to obey. But the point is, I had quite a bit of exposure to um, the art world. And what I wanted to do this morning, because there's such an abundance of illustrative material about the subject of the birth of Jesus, that we would do a visual Christmas this morning, if we might. Beautiful artwork such as this, all right, uh, famous 
and I want to comment on it in just a minute. Uh, this one is um, Rubens' uh, artwork about the nativity, and there's a whole bunch of stuff. In fact, some of it was uh, pretty graphic. Uh, there's a second point in my message today that uh, you're going to have fill-ins if you're a, a bulletin filler-inner, if you're a note-taker. Uh, the three points of my message today, and I'm going to be brief so that we can uh, head on out and the kids will not claws to death uh, waiting too long, uh, is there is an incarnation, there's an invasion, and there's an intervention. Those are the three points if you want to fill them in. An incarnation. Now, we who have been exposed to Christianity understand that that's what's special about the coming of Jesus, but many people still don't. And uh, today... It's amazing how, how few people really understand the biblical story as it's uh, reported to us and as it is, in fact, a reflection of the truth. It's kind of funny that this uh, title, Do You See What I See?, is the first, um, it's not the first verse. The first verse of the song is, Do You Hear What I Hear? You know the song is, Do You Hear What I Hear? The first uh, do you see what I see is this first verse of a song that is, do you hear what I hear is what I'm trying to say. We're more visual today even than back then. How many things we get and we learn by means of visualization, by what we see, and a picture is worth a thousand words. The shepherds that we just described in the passage of this morning's text uh, saw with their eyes the coming of Jesus. First, they saw angels, which was quite uh, disconcerting for them. And as I said, it would be for you as well, because it is an invasion of the other world into the present world. They experienced that, and then listening to what was said to them, they went and checked out the report for themselves. So the first thing I want to talk about with the coming of Jesus that we celebrate on Christmas is that there is, in fact, a miracle called incarnation. That is, God becoming man. That is the most profound thing, as a matter of fact, the coming of the Savior, the God-man, which we can't completely figure out rationally. Nevertheless, we see it as revealed and as true and defended by reality. In other words, the stories that we get confirm that Jesus was both human and also divine, a special child, the God-man. And these, these um, um, shepherds who hear from the angels can't seem to keep quiet about it. Everywhere they go, they tell people about what they had seen. And the scripture, the last verse says, everybody wondered uh, at what they were hearing. This is, this is deep. This is heavy. As, uh, what's his name in... Back to the Future always said, you know, heavy, and it was. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told to them about this child. That's what they would do. Talking about who this Christ, the Savior, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Christ the Lord. There's two things packed in there. He's the Savior but he's also Christ the Lord. For the Hebrews, that meant that the Messiah was on the scene. This is who they've been waiting for in these 400 years of silence. Where is the Messiah? When is he going to come? When is ultimate deliverance going to arrive? Became reality later, or they became aware of the reality that the Messiah and 
the Savior were the same. Rather than just a conquering king that was going to come clean up the Roman mess, give the Jews their freedom again. No, there was more involved. There was going to be salvation for all mankind. That's why I put this, uh, this uh, picture on the screen. So many of the um, artists that uh, tried to depict the nativity have to have some way of communicating the uniqueness of the child. You all get it in the picture, right? You look at this picture, what are you seeing? It's like, it's like there's a, a light. Yeah, there's a light emanating from this infant. Other pictures have little crowns on the infant, little halos, things like this. This kind of depiction is one of my favorites because you can see light coming to those who are observing. They're looking in at the Savior, and light, which dispels darkness, is being communicated to them, and you see the wonder in their faces. And these are probably shepherds that are depicted in this text, uh, in this uh, Oil painting is what it is. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word, if you begin in the book of John, you find that the word was with God and the word was God. And 14 verses later, you get this. The word, God, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory which is why I like that. They beheld his glory. Of course, I don't think the baby Jesus was glowing, okay? He wasn't radioactive. But this is communicating spiritual light being conveyed. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Last night when uh, we had our... um, candlelight service we sent a little bag home with every family and they got a little gift i don't know if you got one uh you know if you're a christian then apologetics do you all know what apologetics is it's defending the faith uh it comes from the greek word apologia which means a defense and um we use the word apology for like i'm sorry The early Christians were not apologizing for their faith, like, we're sorry we're Christians. We're sorry that Jesus had to come and die for you, you sinner. You know, that wasn't what they were saying. The apology was a defense. In other words, they were communicating, this is why we believe, and this is why it's logical, and this is why there's evidence to support it, and that's why we're followers of Christ. That was what they did. It was called an apology, an apologist's work. Lee Strobel is an apologist for the Christian faith. If you looked in his book at all, you'll see there's a list of books that he's done, The Case for Christ, The Case for Christmas, The Case for This, The Case for That. And uh, it's really encouraging for us as Christians to read it because it reaffirms that we're not out of our minds believing this. There's good, sound evidence for believing the gospel. One of the little articles in this booklet had to do with the miracle of the virgin birth which back in the 1940s was a big source of fighting among churches because some people in churches weren't sure that the Bible was true anymore. And so they questioned whether the virgin birth actually happened. Isn't it a little far-fetched to believe such a thing? Well, let me read something to you. Believing the virgin birth. 
Though 79% of Americans believed the virgin birth, it was a stumbling block for philosopher William Lane Craig when he was young. I thought it was absurd, he said. For the virgin birth to be true, a Y chromosome had to be created out of nothing in Mary's ovum because Mary didn't possess the genetic material to produce a male child. Well, he knows his science. Still, he became a Christian. What's wrong with him? You don't need to have all your questions answered to come to faith, he told me. You just have to say, the weight of the evidence seems to show this is true, so even though I don't have answers to all my questions, I'm going to believe and hope for answers in the long run. Craig, who became an expert on scientific evidence for a creator, an expert, later resolved the issue. If I really do believe in a God who created the universe, Craig said, smiling, then for him to create a Y chromosome would be child's play. Really, isn't that true? I said the same thing about the resurrection. If Jesus was raised from the dead, oh, how, who could believe that? Well, a God who made everything, that's small potatoes to resuscitate life. And he not only resuscitated, he gave him the resurrection life. Some of you are... Um, uh, aware of uh, the, the woman's book, uh, Madeline Langle, The Glorious Impossible, that I read from last night. She also made this comment about it. The virgin birth has never been a major stumbling block, and my struggle with Christianity is far less mind-boggling than the power of all creation, stooping so low as to become one of us. I don't know, did you catch what she said? In other words... The virgin birth is a small philosophical conflict. What's a bigger conflict is the power of creation, God himself, stooping so low as to become one of us. But I find myself disturbed that the changing by some committee or, or other of the story which brought God and the human creature together in marvelous at one as Jacob's ladder brought heaven and earth together. That's the wonder. That's the wonder in her mind that God can reach out and become one with that which he has created. That's amazing, that a holy God can, as Ken, Ken uh, Geyer said in his little meditation, step into the warm pool of humanity and all the wreckage, that God could actually become flesh. That's amazing. The incarnation. Do you see what I see? The incarnation, the God-man manifested in the flesh. There's also an invasion. This is the hard side of the gospel. There's an invasion. Let me just read something. Glory to God in the highest, the angel said, right? And on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. Could be translated, peace to those whom he favors. We're not totally sure exactly what this means, but let's say it. Any way you look at it, the world is not full of peace. Have you noticed that? And the fact that God would say peace on earth is really rather profound because we've been looking for it for thousands of years. And it eludes us. Whether it's internal peace or whether it's external, political, whatever it might happen to be, we are not experiencing it in the world. But God says, for those whom he favors, peace is coming to them. In a war-torn world, he's speaking as the prince of peace. I wanted to find a picture on this one. I, I almost couldn't use anything from the res Renaissance. You know why? 
because Christmas Sunday morning with children in the room, the paintings were too brutal and too graphic. You know what happened when Jesus came into the world. It set off war, right? There was a war set off. Herod, who was working for the wrong side, went to war immediately, sent his soldiers out to kill anyone that was two years old or younger. Genocide, if you will, right? War. And I thought, there were a lot of artistic representations of the slaughter of the innocents. And let me tell you, I couldn't put them on the screen this morning. But I did find one by Leon Cognier. You all know him, right? No, you don't. But anyway, and look at this. What an excellent picture. Couldn't that be Aleppo today or some town in Iraq? Isn't that what it looks like? This woman and the woman in the background, no brutality being shown, but running with fear in their eyes, trying to hide, because Jesus coming to the world set off a war, an invasion. And so this is his representation of the slaughter of the innocents, someone who hopefully escaped, we don't know. But you can see the fear, because war is a terrible thing. Here's what the Bible says about the coming of Jesus In the book of Revelation, the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Anybody know who the male child is? Anybody want to guess? Okay. And he was prophesied by Isaiah, right? So Old Testament prophecy, the coming of Jesus, angels announcing it. Then in the book of Revelation, the close of the New Testament, it's spoken about again. This male child is Jesus, the one who's going to rule the nations. He was caught up to God and to his throne, and there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon, and we're the collateral damage, if you will. Some of you may have been aware of uh, John Eldred's books on Wild at Heart and some of that interesting little statement commenting on this particular passage out of Revelation. He says this, As Philip Yancey says, I have never seen this version of the story on a Christmas card. Peace on earth, goodwill to all men. By the way, we're at war, you're going to die. You know, I mean, something nice like that. No, you don't see that, right? Yet it is the truer story, the rest of the picture of what was going on that fateful night. Yancey calls the birth of Christ the great invasion. A daring raid by the ruler of the forces of good into the universe's seat of evil. Spiritually speaking, this is no silent night. It is D-Day. It is almost beyond my comprehension, too. And yet I accept that this notion is the key to understanding Christmas and is, in fact, the touchstone of my faith. Listen, as a Christian, I believe that we live in parallel worlds. One world consists of hills and lakes and barns and politicians and shepherds watching their flocks by night. That's one world. The other consists of angels and sinister forces and the whole spiritual realm. And into that war, a child is born for us so that we can be on the winning side, brothers and sisters. We can be on the winning side. Anybody want to say amen to that? And why should you, as a child of God, ever be surprised at opposition if you're going to follow Jesus? Anybody ever notice that if you try to follow him, 
you encounter opposition, why should you be surprised? There is a war. So things like this remind us to look into the spiritual. If I used to say uh, to my congregation, if only they made spiritual eyeglasses. Do you know what I mean? You know, if you go to 3D movies, anybody ever done that? I get sick to my stomach. Anyway, uh, but if you had spiritual eyeglasses, you could put them on and all of a sudden, you would see not only this world, but you could see the parallel universe. If you could see it right now, what would you see? I'm telling you what you would see. You would see angelic beings and you'd see demons active right now struggling over where your heart is going to end up. It would be visible. Once in a while, some of us get a chance to see that in the, in the physical reality, which I have. just confirms that everything that the Bible says is the truth. So, there's an incarnation there's an invasion, and thankfully, there's an intervention. God is intervening on behalf of a fallen humanity. The first thing that they're told, the the shepherds are told, is that a Savior has been born for you, who is Christ the Lord. Today, a Savior has been born for you. Why do I need a Savior? Because I'm a sinner. Who's these guys? Anybody want to guess? They finally showed. Everybody wanted them first at the, at the nativity, but, you know, they were last, right? They didn't even make it to the, uh, to the barn. By the time they get on the scene, uh, Mary and Joseph are in a house somewhere in the Bethlehem area, right? Somebody uh, took them in. Something happened. We don't know. But the wise men find them and go into the house to worship. This is a Murillo uh, painting of the wise men worshiping the Lord Jesus. And um, I don't know if you can see it. There's the little crown. Can you see that? The little uh, halo type thing. They never miss it. Never miss an opportunity to indicate that this is a unique person in all the universe. The God-man, the Savior, Christ the Lord, the Messiah. And there's a universal call inviting all people to welcome the Savior into their lives. I have a great Christmas verse. I think you'll all recognize it. Some of you probably have it memorized. Anybody know this verse? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life, eternal life, right? That is a Christmas verse, right? It doesn't sound Christmassy, but it is. God so loved the world that he gave. That's what Christmas is about, the coming of the Savior. Uh, We gift give, right? Its, Its roots are in this, the great generosity of God in rescuing us from our lostness. There's a song, We Three Kings. You all know it? So, We Three Kings of Orient are. You do know that's all unbiblical, right? You got that? It's still nice. It's a good song. They weren't kings. They were magicians. They were, yeah, magi. They were the wise men of Babylon, uh, probably astrologers, and they were therefore the theologians and the doctors of that day. 
And nevertheless, somehow because of Daniel's history being in exile and the Hebrew scriptures being communicated to those people, they discovered that there was a Messiah. There was a cosmic event going to happen. Isn't it fascinating that these people would travel hundreds of miles to come from the Middle East over to Jerusalem or to uh, Bethlehem seeking out a Jewish king? Isn't that weird? But that's because there was a universal call. God's universal call somehow is getting out there, even to those who are outside the covenant people. We three kings of Orianna. It doesn't sound good singing we three magi, but I'm going I'm to read this. Bearing gifts we travel so far, field and fountain mourn, mountain following yonder star. Here's the one I want you to listen to. Myrrh is mine, its bitter perfume breathes a life of gathering gloom. Sorrowing, sighing, bleeding, dying, sealed in the stone-cold tomb. That's a Christmas song. Speaking of what was myrrh used for, burial. Now, we don't know that's why they gave it to them, but thinking about it, this is the devotional thought that this author comes up with. Sorrowing, sighing, bleeding, dying, sealed in the stone-cold tomb. Glorious now, behold him arise, king and God and sacrifice. Hallelujah, hallelujah, rings through the earth and skies. He's a living savior. That's Christmas. Coming, precious little baby, growing, prophesying, being opposed, being beaten, being scourged, being crucified, dying, being buried rising again and waiting to return and gather up all those who belong to him. I'm one of them. How about you? If you don't know for sure, I'll be hanging out after the service. Be glad to talk with you what it means to trust in Jesus. Everybody's ready to go celebrate the other side of Christmas now, right? This is the main side. You know, it's interesting how it's his birthday and thanks for putting him first today. (laughs) It's a good thing to do. Let's stand together as we close. And let me wish you all a Merry Christmas and a safe holiday. Okay? Let's pray. God, thank you for invading our world. Thank you for incarnation. I don't think many of us would be inclined to become maybe a rodent or some other animal in order to rescue but it's a similar comparison, the stepping down from glory to rescue broken humanity. So thank you for incarnation. Thank you for the invasion. Thank you for the intervention without which we would be helpless and hopeless. Not only for eternity, I know, Lord Jesus, that you have rescued me from my own besetting sins and things that would have hindered me and ruined my life if it hadn't been for your complete salvific work. Thank you for rescuing us. We worship you today, King Jesus. Uh, I think it's appropriate for us to wish you a happy birthday. And thank you that one day there'll be a glorious and delightful and happy and joy-filled reunion when you return. We bless you. We worship you in the great name of Jesus and all of God's people said, Amen and Amen. Merry Christmas.